Welcome to Authors on Tour Live, a weekly podcast for people who love to hear about books from the authors themselves. My name is Darren Fote, and today we are podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore, one of the premier independent bookstores in the nation, with three locations in the metro Denver area. You can visit www.authorsontourlive.com for a complete list of upcoming podcasts. Wait a minute, it's time to begin. Thank you so much for coming out to the Tatter Cover tonight and supporting your local bookstores. The more people that come to these events, the more we can have, and we really, really appreciate you coming. Now, without further ado, here she is. She needs no introduction, really. Jenny Lawson. First of all, holy shit, you guys, look how many there are. Well, we could take this whole place over. Um, also, we're in the children's section. <laughs> Just saying that might... Well, you know what? It probably is appropriate now that I think about it. Um, uh, so first off... Oh, sorry, I'm waiting for my meds to kick in and they are a little... So first off, thank you. Um... Thank you for being here. Thank you for driving through what was snow, but it wasn't snow. Like, I don't know how that, like, there was snow this morning, and then there wasn't. That doesn't happen in Texas, by the way. Um, I was freaked out. I was like, oh, my God, we're snowed in. And they were like, what? No. There's barely any. I'm like, no, seriously, this is, wow, nobody's going to make it to And they were like, no, calm down. Um, so first off, thank you for coming. Um, secondly, thank you for the absolutely incredible support that you have shown this strange little book. Um, when you look at the, uh, the books that are on the New York Times list, you look at them and you're like, oh, I know all these people. There's Mindy Kaling and there's that asshole politician guy. And well, <laughs> there's a lot of them. Um, and, uh, and, and you look at it and you're like, oh, oh, I know that person, I know that person, I like that person, don't like that one. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and then, then you come across this book with a dead raccoon on it. And, um, and it's sort of bizarre that this is, in fact, we just found out this is, it's on the New York Times, the extended edition list for the seventh week in a row, which is amazing. Thank you. Um, and that, that goes back to, to you guys and the support that you have shown this book. Um, I have had so many people who have come and who probably even now are in the same kind of boat where they will come and they will say, I, don't, like, I think you read a blog maybe and you wrote some other book. I don't know. All I know is somebody read this book and they thought, and they said to me, now I understand you better. And... Then they now they have this book and they understand, um, and they come to things like this and they're like, I found I found my people. Like I'm I'm not alone anymore, um, and that is a wonderful and amazing thing. And I am so lucky to be able to see that. And I just wanted to say thank you because um, on behalf of all those people who are new and are now realizing how unalone they are. Um, it's a really wonderful thing to be able to see. So thank you for that. Uh, I am going to read two chapters. One, which is 
moderately long, not really, and one is, which is like a page. Um, and I have to pre-warn you that, first of all, I took my anxiety medication a little bit too late. And so um, when I get panicky, I get like super sweaty. And so that's what's going on here. Also, um, it sort of looks like I've been strangled. And everybody's like, don't pay, don't say anything about it. No one will notice. It's all I can see when I look in the mirror. Uh, so I'm just going to say, if you happen to be anywhere near Wichita, there's this really weird bug that's like just there, and it is it will kill you, basically. You get one little bite, and this is a week later, it looks like I've been punched in the throat. Um, I don't recommend it. I mean, I do recommend Wichita. It's lovely. Don't get bit by this thing. Um, but it's not contagious, so. All right. And the other thing I was going to say is, totally forgot to take my ADD meds, which is pretty obvious. Um, and, and also, I'm on ADD meds, so why wouldn't I forget to take them? So I, so I might be a little bit all over the place, but I'm going to try my best. All right, so. Furiously happy, dangerously sad. You're not crazy. Stop calling yourself crazy, my mom says for the 11 billionth time. You're just, you're sensitive and a little odd and fucked up enough to require an ass load of meds, I add. That's not crazy, my mom says as she turns back to scrubbing the dishes. You're not crazy and you need to stop saying you are. It makes you sound like a lunatic. (laughs) I laugh because this is a familiar argument. It is the same one that we have had a million times before and the same one that we will have a million times again, so I let it lie. And besides, she is technically right. I'm not technically crazy, but crazy is a much simpler way of labeling what I really am. According to the many shrinks that I've seen in the last two decades, I am a high-functioning depressive with severe anxiety disorder, moderate clinical depression, and mild self-harm issues that stem from an impulse control disorder. I have avoidant personality disorder, which is like social anxiety disorder on speed, and occasional depersonalization disorder, which makes me feel utterly detached from reality, but in less of a this LSD is awesome kind of way and more of a I wonder what my face is doing right now sort of thing and it sure would be nice to feel emotions again kind of a way. I have rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune issues and sprinkled in like paprika over a mentally unbalanced deviled egg are things like mild OCD and trichotillomania, the urge to pull one's hair out, which is always nice to end on because whenever people hear the word mania, they automatically back off and give you more room on crowded airplanes. (laughs) Probably because you're not supposed to talk about having manias when you're on crowded airplanes. This is one of the reasons why my husband, Victor, hates to fly with me. The other reason is I often fly with taxidermied creatures as anxiety service animals. (laughs) Basically, we don't travel a lot together because he doesn't understand awesomeness. You are not a maniac, my mom says in an aggravated voice. You just, you like to pull your hair. You even did it when you were little. It's just, it's soothing to you. It's like, it's like petting a kitten. I like to pull my hair out, I clarify, and that's why it's sort of different and why they call it a mania and not kitten petting disorder, (laughs) which honestly would suck to have because then you'd end up with a bunch of semi-bald kittens who would hate you. (laughs) My God, I hope I never get overly enthusiastic kitten fur pulling disorder. My mother sighs deeply, but this is exactly why I love having these conversations with her. 
because she gives me perspective. It is also why she hates having these conversations with me, because I give her details. <laughs> you are perfectly normal, my mom says, shaking her head as if even her body won't let her get away with this sort of lie. I laugh as I tug involuntarily at my hair. I have never been normal, and I think we both know that. My mom pauses for a moment, trying to think up another line of defense, but it is pretty hopeless. I have always been naturally anxious to ridiculous degrees. My earliest school memory is of a field trip to a hospital when a doctor pulled out some blood samples and I immediately passed out right into a wall of thankfully empty bedpans. <laughs> According to the other kids present, the teacher said, ignore her, she just wants attention. And then my head started bleeding and a doctor cracked open an ammonia capsule under my nose, which is a lot like being punched in the face by an invisible fist of stink. <laughs> Honestly, I didn't even know why I had passed out. My baseline of anxiety remained the same, but my subconscious was apparently so terrified that it decided the safest place for me to be would to be fast asleep on the floor surrounded by bedpans, which sort of shows why my body is an idiot, because forced narcolepsy is pretty much the worst defense ever. It's basically the human version of playing possum, which is only helpful if bears are trying to eat you, because apparently, if you lie down in front of bears, they're all, what a badass, I attack her and she takes a cat nap, I probably shouldn't fuck with her. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but I have been told that. This would be the start of a long and ridiculous period in my life, which shrinks label white coat syndrome. My family refers to it as what the hell is wrong with Jenny's syndrome, and I think my family was more accurate in their assessment, because passing out when you see doctor's coats is just damn ridiculous and more than slightly embarrassing, especially later when you have to say, sorry, I passed out on you. Apparently, I'm afraid of coats. <laughs> to make things even worse, when I pass out, I tend to flail about on the floor, and apparently I moan gutturally. <laughs> like a Frankenstein, according to my mother, who has witnessed this on several occasions. Other people might battle a subconscious fear of adversity or failure or being stoned to death, but my hidden phobia makes me faint at the sight of outerwear. I have passed out once at the optometrist, twice at the dentist office, and two horrifying times at the gynecologist's. The nice thing about passing out at the gynecologist, though, is that if you're already in the stirrups, you don't have very far to fall. Unless, of course, you're like me and you flail about wildly while you're moaning and unconscious. It's pretty much the worst way to pass out with someone inside your vagina. It's like having a really unattractive orgasm you're not even awake for. I always remind my gynecologist that I might rather loudly pass out during a pap smear, and she usually grimly informs me that she didn't need me to remind her at all. The really bad part about passing out of the gynecologist is that you occasionally regain consciousness with an unexpected speculum inside your vagina, which is essentially the third worst way to wake up. The second worst way to wake up, by the way, is at the gynecologist without a speculum inside of you because they took it out because they decided when you were passed out you didn't need to go through that, which is why I always tell the gynecologist to get everything out of the way while I'm out. The first worst way to wake up is to find bears eating you because your body thought its safest defense was to fall asleep in front of bears. <laughs> that playing possum bullshit almost never works. Not that I would know because I would never pass out in front of bears because that would be ridiculous. And in fact, I have been known to run at bears in order to get good pictures of them. Instead, I pass out in front of coats, which according to my brain are the things you really need to be concerned about. 
One time I loudly lost consciousness at my veterinarian's office when he called my name, apparently. My subconscious freaked out when I saw blood on the vet's coat, and then I abruptly passed out right on my cat. (laughs) That's not a euphemism. I woke up shirtless in the lobby with a bunch of strangers and dogs looking down on me. Evidently, when I started moaning, the vet called an ambulance, and then when the EMTs arrived, they claimed that they couldn't find my heartbeat, and so they ripped open my shirt. Personally, I think they just wanted a cheap thrill, and I think the dogs looking down on me agreed as they seemed slightly embarrassed for me after watching the whole spectacle unfold. But you can't really blame the dogs, because first of all, who can look away from a train wreck like that? And secondly, dogs have no concept of modesty. Waking up shirtless with a bunch of concerned dogs staring at your bra because you're afraid of coats is about the seventh worst way to wake up. I mutter aloud to my mother. Hmm. My mom says, non-committally raising a single eyebrow. Well, okay, maybe you're not normal normal, she says grudgingly. But who wants to be normal? You're fine. You are perfectly fine. You are better than normal even because you're so aware of what's wrong with you that you can recognize it and sort of fix it. And I nod because she does have a point, although the rest of the world might disagree with our definition of fixing it. When I was little, I fixed it by hiding from the world in my empty toy box whenever my undiagnosed anxiety got too unbearable. In high school, I fixed it by isolating myself from other people. In college, I fixed it with eating disorders, controlling what I ate, to compensate for the lack of control that I felt with my emotions. And now, as an adult, I control it with medication and with shrink visits and with behavioral therapy. I control it by being painfully honest about just how crazy I am. I control it by allowing myself to hide in bathrooms and under tables during important events. And sometimes, sometimes I control it by letting it control me because I have no other choice. Sometimes I'm unable to get out of bed for a week at a time. Anxiety attacks are still an uncomfortable and terrifying part of my life. But after my furiously happy epiphany, I've learned the importance of pushing through, knowing that one day soon I will be happy again. This is why I sneak into other people's bathrooms in haunted hotels and once accepted a job as a political czar who reports directly to the stray cat that sleeps at City Hall. I have staged live zombie apocalypse drills in crowded ballrooms. I have landed on aircraft carriers at sea. I once crowdfunded enough money to buy a taxidermied Pegasus. I am furiously happy. And it's not a cure for mental illness. It's a weapon designed to counter it. It's a way to take back some of the joy that's robbed from you when you're crazy. Ah, you're not crazy, my mom says again, waving a wet plate at me. Stop saying you're crazy. People will think you're a lunatic. (laughs) And it's true. They will. I googled the word lunatic and read her one of the definitions. Lunatic. Noun. Wildly or giddily foolish. My mom pauses and stares at me, finally sighing in resignation, recognizing way too much of me in that definition. Hmm, she says, shrugging thoughtfully as she turns back to the sink. So maybe crazy isn't so bad after all. And I agree. Sometimes crazy is just right. That was a scary chapter. Now I get to read the not quite a scary chapter, which I will read all in one breath. No, I won't, but it's going to sound like it. I have found a kindred soul, and he has a very healthy coat. 
A few weeks ago, I was at the pharmacy picking up my meds, and I was staring into the drive-thru window and thinking about how awesome it is that we live in a world where you can pick up drugs in a drive-thru. And that's when I noticed something strange next to the pharmacist register. I don't know if you can see this picture, but this is an open box of milkbone dog biscuits. And I thought, well, that's odd, but maybe someone returned them because they were stale or something. And then I thought it was even odder that someone could realize that dog biscuits had gone stale because dogs usually aren't very good at not eating cookies, even if they're fairly shitty. I mean, dogs eat used diapers if you let them, so I'm pretty sure none of them are saying no to cookies. But then the pharmacist came back, and while he was ringing me up, he reached over and picked up a handful of broken dog biscuits and ate them. And then I thought, wait. Am I high right now? Is he high? Am I being tested? Should I say something? But I didn't, because I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to accuse the man giving you drugs of eating dog food. And then I signed for the drugs, and I drove away, and I thought to myself, is it possible that he accidentally ate the dog biscuits? Or maybe someone at work is always stealing his food, and so he decided to put his tasty human cookies, made for humans, not out of humans, into a milk bone box to keep them safe, or maybe he just likes to entertain himself by seeing if people will tell him, hey, you're eating dog food. Those would be good people, probably. I'm not one of those people. But then I spent all day thinking, why the dog biscuits? And so I went back today to ask, but the dog biscuits were gone, and the dog biscuit eating guy was also gone, and I thought, can I ask this pharmacist if the other pharmacist who eats dog food is around because I really need to know the story? And the answer is no. No, I can't. (laughs) But I really want to know because I suspect that I would be great friends with this guy because anyone who would hide crackers in a dog food box seems like someone I just want to hang out with. Although someone who just eats dog food for fun seems slightly more questionable. Except now I'm wondering if maybe milk bones are really delicious and he's just a genius who's discovered really cheap cookies. (laughs) Cookies you don't have to call your judgmental vet about when your dog gets in the pantry and eats all of them. You do still have to call your vet, though, when your cat has eaten a toy that consists of a tinkle bell and a feather and a poof ball all tied together with twine. That actually happened to me once, and it was really the worst because the vet told me that I would have to ply the cat with laxatives in order to make sure that the toy would pass easily through and then inspect his poop to make sure that the toy had passed because otherwise they'd have to do open cat surgery. And then it finally did start to pass, but just the first part with the tinkle bell. And the cat was freaked out because he was running away from the tinkle bell, which was hanging out of his butthole. And then I called the vet, and he said to definitely not pull on the twine because he could pull out his intestines, which would be the grossest pinata ever. And so then I just ran after the cat with some scissors to cut off the tinkle bell, which impressively was still tinkling after seeing things no tinkle bell should have to see. And I think probably the cat was running away both because of the tinkle bell and because I was chasing it with sharp scissors screaming, Let me help you! If I was good friends with that dog food eating pharmacist, I would have called him to tell him all about the Tinkle Bell issue because I think he probably would have appreciated it. But I never found him again because I was worried that if I ever asked to see the dog food eating pharmacist, the other pharmacist would stop giving me drugs. (laughs) This all feels a bit discriminatory, but I can't explain exactly why. The scariest part of my day is over. Whoa.
Okay, so now we get to move on to Q&A, which usually beforehand I discuss with people and I'm like, someone will tell me whenever to ask the last question because I'm bad with time and I totally forgot to. So someone who works here, yell out at one point once we're going over. Okay, so if you have a question, raise your hand. Yes. I love you. I love you and I love your shirt too. We have Bob's Burgers. Everybody needs to see it. If you're not watching Bob's Burgers, you really should be. So good. Uh, so this is Cousin Jenny, and she's a magical creature. Awesome. But she's a huge Christopher Moore fan. Oh. We were discussing earlier, since you are friends with the author guy, mm-hmm. do you think he based Audrey, right, from Secondhand Souls and Dirty Job on you because of the stitching little creatures together? I would be so incredibly flattered if that was true, if Christopher Moore did based some of the secondhand soul. If you haven't read it, you're going to be like, what are you talking about? You need to go read it. It's all good. All of his stuff is really good. I would say start with Lamb, because that's my personal favorite, but they're all good. Um, But um, no, actually, the reason why we're friends is because he found all my weird taxidermy after he had started writing it, and he was like, what? Why is someone doing this? Why? And then... Then he was like, oh, no, she was already doing it before that. She's not, like, some crazy stalker yet. Um, and then, and I think, really, he sort, of, he sort of found, like, the secret to not having a crazy stalker, which is just be friends, you know? Because, like, how am I going to stalk him if I'm just like, hey, where's your house? And he's like, oh, it's right here. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'm, you know, I'm afraid of people, so I'm not going to come over. But it's good, it's good to know. And he's like, yeah, all right. So, yeah, it works well. Sure. Next question. In the back, black shirt. That's you, yes. <laughs> You're like, am I wearing a black? I am. Oh my God, that's like further than I came. Good job. Target, is it Target? <laughs> So now I will, I will forever miss this mink that was not wearing clothes. There's, it, there's a mink-sized hole in my heart. Um, actually, you know what's... Oh, you... T- okay. Okay, all right. Uh, no, that'll be perfect, because I can, I can check that out. And um, we're, we're almost at that point now. Um, so... I have a lot of taxidermy, <laughs> weirdly enough, that I you know dress up in little costumes and things, and it's ah, I love it. Um, Victor does not, and um, so that's the reason why it's all in my office. And so when you have like fifty plus dead animals in like one office, and also they all have to be like really high because we have cats, and cat, the cats are like, "This is wonderful. That this is a lovely toy that you brought for me." I'm like, "If they're wearing outfits, it's not your toy. Like, how do you not know that?" Ugh. Um, but it's it's kind of gotten to the point where I almost have like a like a, a moving museum and you know, where you sort of bring stuff out and everything, except, like, the museum is, like, 
in my garage. So when people, when I, when I drive people in, they, they come in and they're like, oh, oh my God, what, what? Why are there so many dead animals in clothes? And I'm like, because these are my friends that I don't have enough room for inside. They'll all come in eventually. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it's spreading in an awkward way. And we're just going to have to buy a bigger garage, I think, at one point. So, yeah, sorry, rambling. Next question. Yes. Um, I was diagnosed after, well, I, I was diagnosed with um, depressive issues, eating disorders, and that sort of stuff when I was in college. Um, but it was right after I had Haley that I actually got to the point where I thought, I'm not enjoying my life, and um, I wanted to be a mom. That was the thing that I wanted to be, and I was not happy. And I just thought, I'm spending so much time miserable and exhausted from worry that I'm doing things wrong and that's when I decided to actually go and get help and when I got my first diagnosis and over time you sort of get more and get more and I've I have been able to you know put some to the side and been like okay I finished that one done with that and then I pick up like eight more and I'm like um but in a way, there's something really wonderful about being able to, to assign a word to what you're feeling because you realize if, it's, if there's a word assigned to it, then there are so many people dealing with the same thing. Um, instead of just feeling like, oh, I'm just a weirdo. I'm just, you know, because that's the way that I grew up. I was just like, I'm that, I'm that weird kid that can't make friends and hides from everybody and, you know, that everybody's like, we went to school with her? And I'm like, yeah, there were only 30 people in our class. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, bitch. I'm sure, I'm sure you went there. Um, I decided to come out about um, depression and anxiety after I had started blogging because when, when I get depression... Um, Typically, it happens a couple of times a year that I will have up to a week, sometimes more, um, where I can't function. And all I can do is just cling to the couch and remind myself to breathe and remind myself that depression lies and that, um, that I'm going to feel better again and that everything my head is telling me is not true. Uh, and what would happen is I would have all of these posts that were saved up on my blog and they were just funny posts that I would have in the draft folder because I never knew when the depression would strike. And so when it would, I could just publish those draft things. Um, and I would have, I would go to approve comments and the comments would be like, oh my gosh, you're so funny. You have such a great life. And I just felt like such a liar. Um, I felt like I was creating this false history and I felt really bad about it. And, um, after uh, quite a lot of time and going back and forth about what I should do, I finally decided that I was just going to be upfront about it because um, there was no real reason of me writing about my life if I wasn't going to be honest about my life. Um, I was very surprised because I thought that people would run. Um, mental illness runs in my family, and in my family, you don't talk about it. Like I didn't even know that other people in my family were mentally ill until I had my first breakdown, and someone said, oh, yeah, remember when your father had one? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, we didn't say it out loud, but yeah, don't you? <laughs> like, oh, it makes so much more sense now. Why didn't someone tell me? Um, what was 
what was really lovely is that instead of people running, which is what I sort of suspected, I had all of these people who came and said, oh my God, me too. I thought it was just me. I thought I was the only one who dealt with imposter syndrome, who felt like at any moment people are going to realize, oh, I'm a fraud, I'm a loser. Um, and so many of them were anonymous, and so many of them had really nothing else to give except just to say, me too, you're not alone. Um, but, it, but it wasn't just a couple of people, it was thousands of people. And what is really amazing about that is that I've had so many people who have come to me um, within the last few years who have said I was actively in the process of planning my own suicide and I decided not to, not necessarily because of anything that you wrote, but because I looked at the reaction that people had of these thousands of people saying me too, me too, I feel that way too. And I realized if that many people feel that way, that's crazy. And they shouldn't listen to those crazy voices in their head. And maybe I shouldn't listen to them either. Maybe I deserve to get help um, in the same way that I want all of these people to get help. Um, and what I think is really fascinating and wonderful is that there were so many people who left these comments, maybe just anonymous comments, just out into the wind and just said, me too, I feel the same way. And with that single anonymous shout, you may have saved someone's life just by saying, me too. Um, and, and I think that, for me, has been the biggest thing that I've come back to because every time I find myself falling into a depression or you know, dealing with anxiety disorder or any of that, um, it really is a, a circular sort of thing where I will go back and I'll look at the letters of people saying, I'm still here, thank you, I'm still here, and then I'll remind myself, I'm supposed to be here, I am supposed to be here, even though my mind says, oh, this is just, this is, don't listen to any of that that it's true and that we are all supposed to be here. And I think it's amazing the, the way that we help each other in ways that we have absolutely no clue, that you have no idea the impact that your life makes on other people, the positive ways that you have helped others. And I, I wish, I always wish when somebody comes and tells me that I always wish that I could like stand up and say like, everybody give yourself a round of, of applause because this person's alive. Like this person's, you know, kids still have a mom or a dad or this, you know, kid came out and said, you know, hey mom, I read this and now I feel like I need to tell you that I'm struggling with this and that that happened because of this community and that's a really wonderful thing. So I'm very blessed and lucky to be part of that. Yes. Uh, no, I'm. I'm still looking for a very patriotic-looking cat. Um, my husband continues to shoot down every not not literally shoot down every cat that I. But um, probably if I brought it home, he might like. But just with like a slingshot, he wouldn't. You know. Um, 
But no, it's going to happen. And also, I also now want a dog that I can call Tiny Gentleman because I just like in my head, I'm like, wouldn't it be great to have a dog and be like, oh, Tiny Gentleman. Hello, Tiny Gentleman. How are you? Oh my God, I just want, oh, it's the best. Sorry. So no, yes, the president, the president does not exist, but I will say the president's Twitter account does exist um, because I wanted to have that just in case. I can't, I think it's called like not really the president. I don't know. I have no idea. I don't really don't remember, but I get um, emails from Twitter that's like, hey, the president, you should follow blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, so basically Twitter is yelling at me about a cat that doesn't even exist. So... In the back. know why either. <laughs> I, I would say, so when I uh, deal with all of my mental illness stuff, up until about a year and a half ago, Haley really didn't know. She knew I was sick. And, um, and that's what I would just say. I would just say, I just, I just really, I'm, I'm having a, a bad week and I'm just sick this week. And so um, so this week we're going to watch a lot of Doctor Who and we're going to watch Little House on the Prairie and we're just going to snuggle up on the couch and um, I tried to always give her good memories um, even in the times when I could do absolutely nothing else I would think at least I will do some, this for her um, she is now at the stage where she is uh, she's 11 and I think I don't know that I would have really told her about the actual words of depression and anxiety and, and all of that stuff, because I, I'm not entirely sure she's completely ready for it, but um, she's she's gone to some of my, like, signings and stuff, so I went ahead and told her, you know, just kind of, this is what it is, and I explained it to her, and she, you know, kids are, we, we have to give them so much more credit. Like, they they know, they know so much more, and they, and it was the same thing with my dad, like, I knew, I knew that there were, you know, people in my family that had problems, and it made it so much easier once I could assign something to it and say, oh, that's what it is, and there was less anxiety for me, because instead, I would think, well, maybe I'm causing that, maybe I'm causing all of these problems, and instead, I could be like, oh, no, it's not me, it has nothing to do with me, it is a chemical thing, um, I am really lucky that uh, Haley so far shows none of the issues that I have. In fact, so much the opposite that I want to inject fear into her because she's just like, whatever, strangers? Yeah, I'll get in your van. Um, she's just, I mean, she, you know, she la she's, the, she's on the stage constantly. She is just exactly the opposite um, of me, which in a way I think is sort of a wonderful thing because I was really afraid that I was going to give her this. Um, and I don't want to say mess her up because um, I think with mental illness, there's a lot of great things that come with it, although it's horrible at the time when you're dealing with it. Um, I think in some ways it can make you a much more empathetic person. It can give you um, a perspective that other people don't have. So... Um, 
Haley has absolutely none of the issues. Now, my sister and I were raised exactly the same way, and my sister is exactly like Haley. And my sister, who was right, who was like outgoing, drama queen. I mean, like literally won awards for drama. Like she was, like she was a professional clown for a living. I mean, she's like out there. Um, and her kids are like me, um, which really goes to show that. You just are who you are, and, and you just have to accept that and find the wonderful things because each one of us has something unique that the other one doesn't have. Um, and in a way, it's been really wonderful because I can talk to my sister about, like, okay, what do I do to help Haley because I'm terrified of everything? Like, what, what are the things that would be helpful for you? And she can call me and say, okay, totally do not understand. Tell me again, anxiety. What, what are you, what, you're afraid of nothing? I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yes. Um, I think, I think we're very lucky that we live in a time when we talk about it more, where we understand it more, um, where there are, um, way more therapies and way more medications. And also the fact that people understand it better and they understand that, it makes you not a bad person. It just makes you a person. Um, what's really wonderful and one of the great things that I've been able to do while on tour is do, uh, what is it called, cognitive exposure therapy, which is basically like you do things that make you really scared, which <laughs> talking in front of big groups of people would be like one of them. Um, and one of the things, and, and I found like all of these tools because you go through and you see like, oh, this works for me, that doesn't work for me. And everybody has different things that, but you find your particular thing. And one of my things is that I always know that at any point I can say, I can't breathe, I'm having a panic attack, I need to hide, and there will always be a podium and I can crawl inside, except Barnes & Noble has clear ones, which what the fuck, Barnes & Noble? <laughs> Um, but, but what's so wonderful is that, is that not only do I know that everyone in the audience would be like, oh, that's okay, it's fine, but not only that, but, but I know that there would just be bottles of pills rolling at me going like, have you tried clonopin? Have some Xanax, have some... And that everyone else in, in the room would completely understand because either um, they've dealt with it themselves, because one in four people does deal with mental illness, um, or uh, they love somebody who is dealing with mental illness, which in some ways I think can be even harder than dealing with it personally. Um, or you know that it could happen to you at any point, you know, that... At any moment, it could be like, bam, oh, what just happened? I suddenly have depression for the first time in my whole life. Because um, it's like any other disorder or disease, it's sort of indiscriminate. Um, I will say that I feel very lucky that I've been able to, to do a lot of things that, that my, how do I, how do I say this? I'm a writer. Uh, <laughs> not, not so good with words right now. Um, I have had a lot of experiences that I would not have had had I not um, dealt with mental illness. Um, one of the examples that I use that's one of my absolute favorites is when the book tour first started, um, it started in New York. And if you follow me, you kind of know that 
while I'm on tour, I really don't do anything. I just sort of hide in my room. So for like for the past two days, it's like all I've seen are the people that work in room service. That That's it. Um, and I will look out the window and I will see the world go around and I'll see snow and I'll see things and I'll be like, oh, that'd be so great to experience that, but I don't want to. Um, and when I was in uh, New York, I looked down and I was on the street that had like Carnegie Hall and Radio City Music Hall and like all the, all the halls, I guess. Um, and, and I'd never gone to any of those before and I looked out the window and I was like, I should totally get out of my room, I should go, I should force myself to get out of it. It's just right there. It is right there. I should force myself to go. And I couldn't. Um, and I felt like a failure, even though I knew and still know that it's not a failure. It's, it's just it's who I am. And I wouldn't have had the strength to do the writing, uh, I mean, the reading afterward, had I used up all of my terror on, you know, actually leaving the hotel. Um, so instead, I sat by the window and I watched people walk by. And right outside of the window, there was this giant fountain. And it looks like a big dandelion. And each one of the little dandelion-ish things is like throwing off water. And it's just this weird fountain. And as I'm looking outside, the wind picked up. And it picked up the mist from the fountain and the light hit the mist in such a way that it created this prism. And the mist, the way it was rising, it looked like rainbow fire. And I have never seen anything so amazing. I immediately pulled out my phone and I was like, I've got to take a picture of this to share this with the world. Look at this. This is like rainbow fire. And, and I look around and I look at all the people who are walking on the sidewalk and none of them are stopping. Like none of them notice now they're just you know walking and I and I'm thinking are you just so used to it that you're not aware of the, the the beauty that's out there and then I realized that that was not the case what it was is because I was so high up on the 15th floor I was the only person who could see that perspective of the of the sun coming through no one else could see this one of the most beautiful things that I had ever seen and I would never have seen that if it wasn't for the fact that my mental illness kept me inside and said, this is where you're supposed to be. And it, it literally gave me a perspective I never would have had. Um, so I think being able to appreciate those perspectives when they come and appreciating the fact that even though there's going to be some really, really down times, there are some amazing moments in life that you get that nobody else gets. So finding those moments and appreciating them can be a, a wonderful thing. So I think we have time for one more question. I was going to ask this, and kind of, I hope it's not redundant with what you were just talking about. Are there parts of your illness that you've embraced that, and you feel these are my normal? I don't want to lose these. I don't want to give them up. I'm going to work on these other things. Um, absolutely. Um, when it comes to... With depression, I I would be okay with fixing that. Um, I my actual my therapist at this point has recommended it's not electroshock therapy, but it's like magnetic shock therapy. Or so, I have no idea, but it's this thing where you like sit in this magnet chair for like for like four hours every day for six weeks, and um, 
And she was like, I think this might, this might be a good thing. And I was like, it seems like this might give me cancer. And she was like, well, you know, little this, little that. I don't know. Um, but, but when it comes to, um, when it comes to the actual issues that I have, um, I would take them all back again because they do make me who I am. And not only that, but um, I think that, and I, I think everybody is different, but um, for me, when this is going to sound like super crazy, this is so the wrong question to, to end on because you guys are going to be like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> but whatever, I'm going to do it anyway. So when I went to my, um, my shrink uh, a couple of years ago, I said something and I was like, so don't commit me. But um, I sort of feel like when my anxiety is very, very high that I can um, sort of read people's emotions and that I'm um, like on Star Trek, the empath. Like that, that's kind and, and and she was like, okay. And she was like, do you hear like their voices? And I was like, no, no, no. But, but like I can, like I can, I can, you know, be with a bunch of people and I can, I can be like, this person's having problems, this person isn't, this person's an asshole, this person's wonderful, this person's terrified, I want to spend time with this person, this person is physically hurting me with their emotions, they don't even realize it, and they're, you know, and, um, and she was like, oh no, that is a really well-recognized thing that we don't talk about, but um, anxiety does cause um, uh, highly empathetic, empathetic um, behaviors, and that's why people with anxiety are very, very, very good at um, a sort of judging other people of like an immediate character kind of thing, and, and not like a oh, I don't like that person. Oh, I do like this person, but but that you can tell. And if you if you suffer from anxiety, you probably sort of know this, where you can kind of tell like. I can be around this person and they recharge me. I can be around this person and they suck the energy out of me, maybe not intentionally at all. I can be around this person and they feel spiky. And when I'm around this person, I have to recover. When I'm around this person, I feel like they're giving me energy. Um, and I think that that has made me really good at um, watching people. And when you watch people, you learn from people. And when you learn from people, that's when you find the funny and the wonderful and the hysterical. And most of the times when people hang out with me, they're like, you're so quiet. And, and I'm like, no, I, I am, but that's because I'm in my head. Like, I'm constantly writing and I'm constantly thinking about, like, that thing that just happened and everybody's like, she must hate us. Why is she so quiet? But really, I'm like, we're having this great conversation in our head. It's just I'm trying to remember it. And, like, I'll stop people in the middle. We'll be, like, having a conversation. And I'm like, hang on, shut up one second. And I'll have to write it down because I'm like, that's going to be a good chapter. Okay, go, go ahead again. Um, <laughs> And, and so I think everything, every, every single time that you have something that is a, a negative, so often there's a really great positive. It's just hard to find that. Um, and, and, I, and I think, and it's not just with, with mental illness, it's with, you know, um, Victor has never struggled a day in his life with it. It's my husband. Um, but he has learned how to sort of tell like what's going on with me. And also he's the first person who'll come to me if we're, if he's doing like a business deal and he's like, come meet these people and I'll meet him and I'll be like, not that person. 
Don't trust that person. Should not be trusted. They're fine, but they're really out for like themselves. And this person is really nice, but they're too sweet, and you will kill them. Um, and this person, and and so it's it really is um, it really is all about just embracing the wonderful things that come along with the bad. Because no matter what, like we're all messed up. Like even if you don't have a mental illness, it's gonna be that you're you're too angry or you're too happy or you're too cheerful or you're too, like, everybody's going to be like, there's something. Um, but with that comes wonderful and amazing things. And it's those specific wonderful things um, that no one else has that makes us special and that, that makes us such an amazing community where when one person falls, the other person rises up because we all have these different things that we can offer and these different weaknesses um, and strengths that work together in a really wonderful way if you can raise yourself up out of it and sort of see it overall. And and I guess that's what I just want to end with is just to, to remind you that it's all going to be okay and that you're here for a reason and you have done so much more with your life than you will ever imagine just by being alive and you have absolutely made my day by being here and thank you so much for everything that you have done not just for me but also for everyone else that is part of our community and every time that you've been kinder than you needed to be because you knew that maybe somebody was fighting a harder battle than we could ever imagine so thank you for that I forgot my one more, one more thing, which is, oh, I gotta get a picture of you guys. So, um, let's see, camera, panoramic. All right. So. Oh no, I don't want to be in it. Oh God no. Oh, I love. Okay, the raccoon faces, perfect. Um, so if you have, if you have raccoon faces, awesome. If you don't have raccoon faces, you can just be furiously happy with your raccoon hands or you can look really angry you can do whatever you want you can pretend to strangle somebody you can do anything okay so i'm going to start over here and it's saying slow down shut up panoramic you don't own me slow down Sh- mm, i will now it's not saying go down rude okay we got it That's all for tonight's Author on Tour. I'm Darren Foden. We have been podcasting live from the Tattered Cover Bookstore in Denver, Colorado. Stay pod-tuned in the coming weeks as we podcast Authors on Tour.